Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Kendra Maurer. Tonight, we're welcoming Heather Moser. She is a classics professor, and she also works with the Small Town Monsters production documentary crew, and they chase monsters around the United States and do wonderful documentaries about them. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, I am doing really well. Um, just got back from Colorado, actually, with the Small Town Monsters crew chasing UFOs. Awesome. So, well, yeah. tell us about that. Uh, well, it, we were there filming On the Trail of UFOs Night Visitors with Shannon Legros and Seth Relove are the hosts of that. And um, got to meet some really awesome people. We, we kind of went the route of being out in Colorado, like cattle mutilations, um, of course, just weird objects, abduction stories, that kind of thing. So Excellent. it was fun and Colorado is beautiful. I didn't really want to come home. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is gorgeous out there. Yeah. Um, so how did you go from classics professor to monster chasing? Cause as I just said a, a minute ago, I had classics professors in college and they were not nearly as exciting as all that. They <laughs> were very, very <laughs> serious and mm -hmm. fairly elderly and uh, um, <laughs> very, very serious. Mm -hmm. Stoic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to be with the classic stuff. But I was lucky. I had a professor that really... Um, really was very passionate about classics and made it, there were classes that were even more like a game. Uh, you would take on a role. It was role-playing is what it was. Cool. Um, and that made it so much easier, one, to learn about the topics because you're living them, yeah. uh, but two, to look forward to coming to class every week. Uh, but yeah, as far as going from classics to this, <laughs> um, I mean, I've always had an interest in the paranormal and supernatural stuff, cryptids, things like that. Um, I grew up not far from Minerva, Ohio, which is where the Minerva monster is. Yeah. Um, so like I always grew up with stories of Bigfoot and so on. And um, I don't know, that was something that was always on my radar. Always loved the ghost stories. I'd heard ghost stories since I was young. Got a Ouija board when I was really young. Um, so I have no fear of those uh, really because I was raised around them. Mm -hmm. Um but what got me with like small town monsters to get into this kind of role was that as a classic student, particularly when I was finishing up my master's degree and I was writing my thesis, I was so deep into research and I fell in love with researching, going back to the primary sources and just dig, 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 going the bibliographies and finding as many connections as I could. And um, for that, 
thesis, I actually talked about moral panics and the persecution of the Bacchic cult in 186 BCE, and then compared that to the European witch trials and how they overlap uh, as far as moral panics go. But I missed that research. And so Seth was already, Small Town Monsters had already begun. They had Minerva Monster out. So I was aware of it, of course, growing up near Minerva. I knew of the Minerva Monster doc as soon as it came out. But they had, um, so Seth had made that and then A Beast of Whitehall, Boggy Creek. And then when he got to Mothman of Point Pleasant, there's a section in that documentary where he, there's a, an image of uh, James Gay Jones' book on Appalachian folktales. And then, of course, he talks about history and stuff. And I messaged Seth at that point in time and just said, I want you to know that I appreciate the research that you're putting into it. It's not I mean, I'm interested in the human aspect as well in current day, but I'm particularly intrigued how historically we connect to these kind of things. And so in the recording of it and so on. So I told him that I appreciated that and then just kept in touch with him and eventually said, listen, if you need a researcher. I'm your girl. Like, let me <laughs> let me in because I started to miss it. I missed so much diving into these old texts and mm-hmm. finding these connections and to be able to merge my love of research with my love of the paranormal and supernatural and cryptids and stuff has been like a dream. Um, so yeah, I just kept after him. And <laughs> so hound him is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Ultimately, what ended up happening was that I was already doing research on another project about cursed objects related to the Bell Witch Cave. Well, cursed objects in general, but the Bell Witch Cave was a huge part of it. And mm-hmm. he had announced that they were going to start looking into the Bell Witch. And so I was like, hey, <laughs> I, I already did all I'm this. on <laughs> some of that. You know? um, and that's that's when he was like, all right, well, yeah, let's do that. But first, I want you to help me with Momo and I want you to help me with Mothman Legacy and then we'll get to the Bell Witch. So, and I've been around ever since. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So your method of getting a job is to <laughs> chase it down <laughs> yeah. and finally bring it down in your jaws, grab it and, mm-hmm. and pull it down until they, they go, okay, fine. <laughs> well, yeah, my goal is with anything that I do, it's been this way, whether it was in the classroom as a student or, um, is research or, or whatever, things like that, is that I kind of, I want to do the, the best possible job that I can do. So my goal with everything that I've done with small town monsters is to put out there as much as I can for them and say, okay, I can, I can do this next project. I'll try to do even better. Um, I just want to keep giving them the best that I can when it comes to whatever. And, uh, with something like recently, uh, Rougarou, I had the most freedom when it came to research as far as contacting the witnesses and then actually helping write the script. And so I was able to dive into folklore from around the world and compare that to um, like the immigrants that were in the area of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So you could Mm -hmm. see how it all connects. And I loved that. Just like, give me more of that is is how I feel about a lot of this stuff. But yeah, chase it down and do the best that I can. And Hope that that is good enough. <laughs> That's excellent. I mad respect. Thank that you. is, I, I like aggressive scholarly work. You <laughs> Thank know, you. you you didn't, and I'm glad you mentioned your master's thesis because I saw the topic and was like, oh, 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 oh that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My um, when I was in my undergrad, I was in the honors college, and 
the, there were two ways to get your honors degree. And I forget, I forget what the first one was just to take a test or something. I don't know. But the other one was to write a thesis. So I was like, let's just do that. <laughs> and so my undergraduate thesis was about the fluctuation of Julius Caesar's memory from when he was alive through the end of the empire. And you can see how, and this right. is also still echoes through today, who's in charge, what their motives are at the time. So they take a, a pivotal figure like Caesar and first he's like a God, he's deified and then he's a villain. And then, I mean, it just goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to the master's program as well, I'm like, all right, so I did Caesar because Caesar was the whole reason that I got into classics. I just fell in love with him as a character in history, I guess, um, back when I was in high school. So he was my inspiration to get into classics. But then of I've always loved mythology and my favorite deity was Bacchus. So I'm like, all right, how do I take this? And I dedicated my undergrad to Caesar in a way. So let's dedicate the masters to Bacchus. But I didn't want to just go straight mythology either. So the idea of moral panics really intrigued me. Um, mm -hmm. And then I got to bring in witch trials, which talking about that is always fun. So, oh, yeah. 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 I just try to gather it all and put it together. If I can make it fit, then that's, that's the way I'll excellent. do it. That's and cool. excellent with Julius Caesar. Um, Thank you. I, in my third year of Latin in high school, mm -hmm. uh, I, there were two of us who were third year students. And nice. so they put us in a first year class. And when the first year class was doing their stuff, the Latin teacher, of which there was one in the entire county, um, would work with us. And mm -hmm. we were translating Ovid's Metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun because she wanted yeah. us to not just straight up translate it, but to make it poetic. Yes. And to, to put a little bit of ourselves into it and, and put a little spin on it. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of fun. She was a really good teacher, uh, but she got sick halfway through the year and had to go to, uh, get surgery and was out mm -hmm. for a month and they sent in a, uh, a substitute who could teach the Spanish classes that our teacher taught, <laughs> but could not teach the Latin classes. And she <laughs> just basically looked at the first year Latin stuff and was like, I, I, I don't know. And she said, I guess you guys can just do crossword puzzles or something. And I was oh. like, Oh, Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. No, 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 no. And I said, let me let me look at her lesson plans. And I looked at the lesson plans and I looked at the new books and I was like, you know what? We're going to learn all the endings and then we're going to start translating something easy. And mm -hmm. so I had them translate from the beginning of commentaries on the Gallic Wars mm. by Caesar because yeah. they were like this. This Agricola Puerest is boring. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. So. We're going to do this. And they were like, that's hard. I'm like, no, he was a no, soldier. No. It's not mm -hmm. hard. No, Cicero it, can be hard. Cicero's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Caesar, he, he, he was not speaking like a statesman. He was speaking mm -hmm. like a soldier. So it's, it's pretty easy. Yeah. So when she came back, they were reading from it in Latin with the nice. correct pronunciation as correct as you can get in West Virginia. Um, <laughs> Latin with a West Virginia accent is kind I of funny. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did well. That's um, the, uh, I took a class on Ovid in my, in my graduate program. And one of our projects toward the end of the year was to create a poem. The poem was in English, but you mm -hmm. were to write like Ovid. 
Right. And so Ovid is really good about, as you know, like talking about a myth, of course, and then saying, I'm not going to talk about this myth, but if I were, and then he gets mm -hmm. into like these really obscure pieces just to show mm -hmm. that he's smart and that he knows that, and he goes through everything he says he wasn't going to go through. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the, that was one of the fun parts of that class was to just create our own uh, poems and they had to rhyme. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, to in the, use mythology and stuff for that. So it was good. Yeah. I, I like Ovid. He's fun. Yeah. Ovid is, is one of my favorite uh, Roman poetic writers. Mm -hmm. Well, excellent. So classics and, and you, you chase down your, your, uh, your, your jobs. That's great. Um, I really liked the, the second Mothman, the Mothman legacy. Awesome. Um, what was, what did you do in the researching for that? That's uh, because so, I, I thought yeah. that y'all had said I, everything in the first movie, you know, yeah. it's really good, but there was more and you brought it out. And so talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So with Mothman Legacy, initially when Seth um, gave me his idea for that, he said that he kind of wanted to stay with some of the original, the original time frame of the Mothman sightings. And so I had gone back in to try to find relatives or witnesses that hadn't kind of been covered in the first film. And he told me then it was at Mothman Festival 2019, which would have been the last one they had. I went over to say hello to him. And he was like, by the way, I was thinking about it. And I, I'd already been working on this for months, by the way. I was thinking about it and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go from that time period to present day. And I'm like, all right, cool. Just like throw out these 10 pages of notes. <laughs> it's great. No. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Seth. Um, but it was fine. It ended up working out really well. But as I was going through it, you, you find that the, the sightings haven't actually stopped. It's just they weren't talked about as much. So um, you know, finding those witnesses was part of the research. Then the other part was, you know, Susan Shepard had talked about um, like banshees in her one book. Uh, and of course, when she was being interviewed, she ties that together a little bit. And so Seth was like, if we could find a way to find other figures in folklore that are similar, that would be an interesting take. And I'm like, on it. <laughs> And so went through uh, different books of folklore, of course, going through the, the Appalachian authors and then finding where they got their sources. And of course, Ruth Ann Music is excellent for that. And she, you can see some influences in her, but um, the green, is it Green Hills of Magic, I think mm -hmm. is what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, so you see some influences. So looking into the area of the people that, just like Ruguru, people in the area, the influences of that cult, those cultures, and then finding things in those folklore when they were back overseas that might have still carried over. And so that's what I did was finding these bits and pieces, which I talk about a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about that when they interview me in the movie. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much my role in that. And then the witnesses were the other part. I think mm -hmm. for Mothman Legacy, I feel like all, all of those witnesses, but one are ones that I had found and, you know, gave him those names and the contact info. And of course, contacted all of them prior because you, right. you I, I just don't with Momo, which was my first time doing anything for small town monsters. He gave me, I think like three or four weeks before they were going to be filming. Oh, said, I need witnesses or something. I mean, it was really short notice. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, done. Challenge accepted. Gave him a bunch of names. 
like tracked down, gave him a bunch of names, and then he contacted them. But then when we got into Mothman Legacy, then he was like, can you start contacting people? So I did. And, and then that it's just progressed since then. But um, I think with Legacy, he had already contacted and he already had, okay, so he had Forrest Burgess. He'd already done that mm -hmm. when they were out filming for, um, for you, the first UFOs. So they, that was already taken care of. That wasn't me. And um, Richard had him. He already had him as well. And then one other person that was in there, but everybody else I had found and contacted and got that all set up for him. But yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of footwork. Yeah. It's fun though. I'm yeah. learning. Uh, I always get nervous before I contact people, especially if it has yeah. to be a phone conversation. I'm very yeah. nervous to talking on the phone. I'll message people all the time on email or Facebook or something. But if I have to call somebody, I always have to work psych myself up beforehand. Yeah. And then several them. deep breaths. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, I have to like, type, out, type out a little script mm -hmm. so that I don't mm -hmm. miss anything and yeah. try to not sound like a moron when I call them. You know, like, hey, yeah. um, I'm yeah. calling you, but I don't remember why. Hold on. <laughs> um, Let me look at my script. <laughs> yeah, right. So I just try to go through all of that before I call people. But what ends up happening is, you develop relationships with these people mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. friendships. And I love that. That's probably my favorite part about, about that, that aspect of things is just developing these friendships with people. And um, that's what I loved about going on the shoot for night visitors. Everybody that we talked to, I had spoken with on the phone multiple times prior to us getting there and it was great to finally put those faces to the, the voices that I heard. And it was, yeah. it's great. It's a good feeling. I, I love it. I like that yeah. you go into the depth of the culture that you're working with as well. I think that's a really, it's a key ingredient into so many other aspects of life. I did mm -hmm. some um, project management and yeah. I had to look at different ways that different people were managing these specific events and it was interesting to me the way the culture was reflected in the style of management. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. It's, it's the, ref the reflection of the culture in what they see and perceive and yeah, how they deal with it. Yeah. And I think actually growing up where I did, that has kind of helped me in when it comes to reaching out to people and, and yeah. trying to make these connections because well, especially if anything's around, the Ohio Valley area, West Virginia. I mean, I'm from there. Mm -hmm. So already I feel a little more at ease talking to anybody from there because I, I may not know their exact experience, but I have an idea of it or mm -hmm. I've had some form of it. Yeah. Now, when it came to meeting people in Louisiana, I didn't get to meet them in person, unfortunately, but have talked with all of them for many mm -hmm. hours. Um, I, it's, it's always interesting to, to find a connection, you know, like, I couldn't talk to them about sugarcane fields or whatever, but I can say, well, coal miners, you know, or yeah. farming up here. And, and I still understand, you know, family roots and hard work and all of that. Um, and being from a small community, because a lot of times, especially when it comes with cryptids or anything like that, people are already standoffish a lot of the time, not always. Mm -hmm about mm -hmm. talking about these things. They're really closed off. And I feel like that's something that I kind of grew up around anyway, not right. with cryptids necessarily, but just life in general. People don't want to necessarily talk about the odd stuff. And you kind of got to 
whittle away at that a little bit. You got to earn trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've been well practiced with that just because, just because of where I'm from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when you, when you talk with somebody who's a little bit standoffish about their experience, mm-hmm. you know, how do you, how do you ease them into being comfortable with you? Um, well, a lot of the people that I find somehow there has been, I mean, I find them usually because they've told somebody at some point or, Mm -hmm. um, they wrote something somewhere and I saw a comment somewhere. So they, at some point were at least willing to open up a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I'll start with that and then ask them questions about, you know, well, did you experience this? Because I've talked with other people who have experienced X, Y, and Z. Is any of that similar to yours? And if it's a yes or a no, I mean, sometimes it's, well, no, my experience wasn't anything like that. It was like this. And they give me a whole other example. But then because I've been studying folklore and classics and so on for so long, there's usually some similar thread in something that I've read somewhere or from Mm -hmm. someone else that I've talked to. And then I can say to them, well, you know, you're not alone in that. Other people have experienced this. It's in this book. I can tell you, you know, I can read them the story or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of it is the fear of being alone. Um, That they were alone in their experiences. And therefore, if they are to open up about it, then they're going to get mocked in some way. And so I try to let them know you're not alone. Um, I've not, I I may not have heard your story before, but I've heard Mm -hmm. ones that are similar to it. So just please know that you're not. But also, I'm very clear with them of what we're expecting. Like, you will be on camera. This is after we've talked. I don't lead with that because that would scare a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Like, um, once we've talked, we're like, I just want you to know that you're going to be on camera, but it's going to be a conversation. There's not going to be, we're a small crew. It's not a bunch of lights all around you. Um, It's like two cameras and you're talking to whoever's asking questions, whether that's Shannon, me, Seth, whatever. You're just having a conversation and we're recording it. That's all we're asking from you. Um, But I I do want them to be clear about that, you know, before we go, before they agree and think it's just like on the phone or something. But also tell them if you're not comfortable, I completely understand because I don't want anybody to feel forced. And I've had people that are willing to talk to me on the phone, but they're not willing to be interviewed on camera. So I could see that. I mean, and that's fine. I still enjoy talking to them. And then I write down their experiences just for my own knowledge. And that still comes in, um, that still comes into play later because some of those people that I've talked to end up having similar experiences to other people mm-hmm. that we talk to at a later date. And so then I can see the similarities and I can bring that up to them. But right. Yeah. There's just, I think a lot of it is the fear of being alone somehow. And if you can ease that for people, then they're more willing to open up. I gotta say as I, I have a Mothman experience myself mm-hmm. and it's a tremendously isolating experience because you on the spot, your reality is torn up, shredded, and you're in a whole different place all mm-hmm. of a sudden. And you know how much it took you to come to that. And now yeah. you have to deal with other people reacting and responding to you as per- a person who has experienced it. It's mm-hmm. daunting. Oh yeah. I didn't talk about it for at least a decade because it was, it was just, it was too much. Yeah. Well, and that's understandable. And then like um, in UFOs, dark sky, one of my favorite people that I met during that uh, Kenneth, Mm -hmm. 
he shared his experience when he was younger and was teased. Uh, actually, I think it was one of his, uh, one of his best friend's grandmother or some uh, family member had specifically said, I don't want you hanging out with that kid anymore, you know, or whatever. Like she was just very unkind. And so he just quit talking about it. And then I contact him decades later. Hey, I saw your story in a book because he mm -hmm. shared his story uh, years ago. Like I saw your story in a book. Um, do you want to talk about it? And he was very standoffish as well, because you also have to be, and this is completely understandable as well, when it comes to particularly anything that is um, like television or media in that form, you have to know who you're talking to <laughs> because yeah. they can twist it however they want. And I completely mm -hmm. understand that. So with, with Kenneth, for example, he was very hesitant and his wife also very hesitant. Um, she was almost like on the verge of angry that I even called <laughs> But I said, you know, I understand your hesitancy and I understand that I could be feeding you whatever lines that you want to hear or I think you want to hear. But here's a link to our work that we've done. Let that show you how we treat the witnesses. You know, like let, let, let us work or the work can speak for itself. I don't need to tell you anymore. Um, and then I sent him the link for the first like 15 minutes of the first On the Trail of UFOs, which is on YouTube. And then the next day he called back and said, sorry for my hesitancy. I'm in. Um, that's great. When, and that's nice to have that to fall back on because I've heard, mm -hmm. I've heard of, you know, nightmarish scenarios where, or people's like, Oh, TV or, you know, whatever. And they kind of seem excited about it. And then it turns out to be presented in a way that is very unflattering or humiliating. And yeah. 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 It's that's disgusting, but um, yeah, I, I've watched, uh, documentaries with my husband, usually UFO documentaries. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 15 minutes in, we're both going, oh, no, no. Yeah. Why yeah. don't do that to those people? Oh, my God. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like that's also another thing growing up in this area in general, being familiar with being categorized as something that we're not necessarily just because of where we live. Yeah. So, I'm particularly sensitive to that kind of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> Appalachians are, you know, all always good for a laugh, right? You yeah. Know, we don't have teeth. We, we don't wear shoes, mm -hmm. you know, I don't wear shoes as much as I can actually. <laughs> truth, truth, but... truth be told, I haven't worn <laughs> shoes for almost two years now because of this stupid pandemic, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> But before that, when I was out amongst people, I did wear shoes. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to the store or something, but around the house <laughs> or just heading outside for a little bit. Yeah. Nah, nah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I very much like the way that you all uh, talk with your witnesses and the way you get them to speak and tell their stories is, is it's very well done. Um, I really appreciate that. And I like that, you know, you have a little bit of spooky music. Um, your, mm. your narration has always got kind of, he's got kind of a spooky voice, <laughs> but it's not sensationalized. Right. It's not, you know, there aren't these huge jump scares and right. 
you don't do those horrible quick cuts and handheld turning your video camera upside down and shake the cam, shake the camera (laughs) and all the things. I just can't stand any of that. Um, And so, you know, when I told my husband, Hey, new Mothman documentary, you know, I, I watched the first one. You didn't watch it with me. You should watch the second one. He's like, like, I hate those things. And I was like, no, it's really good. It's not like the one that talks about the eyes of, well, we won't talk about it, but (laughs) yeah, that one, that one's horrible. Um, And he, he watched part of it and he was like, wow, this is really, really well done. He's like, these are professional people (laughs) who have taste. This is nice. And I said, well, they are indies. They're not being paid by one of the networks to Mm -hmm. make crap. So, Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, and that allows us a lot of free, you know, freedom to be who we want to be. But I've also run into when you when you contact people and you tell them that you work for a production company, even though I say a small independent film production company, there, there's been a handful of times where like, oh, well, then if you work for a production company, then, uh, you know, my time is worth hundreds of dollars yeah. an hour or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, sorry, then. Never mind. We can't <laughs> yeah. afford that. We're not on the same page. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, some of these people have, I mean, there are people that have excellent stories that have been approached by some of the major networks and they do get paid for that. Like a lot, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. I'm guessing. I don't know. Cause I've not been on one of those shows, but um, apparently at least by some of the people that I've talked to, they must've gotten paid a lot because when I approach them, they're like, we want, you know, I forget the one guy, how much he said that he'd sit down for like, I don't know, hundreds of dollars an hour. Mm. I'm like, we can't swing that. I'm sorry. And he was like, yeah, but you guys have like $60,000 cameras. And I was like, no, we do not have (laughs) $60,000 cameras. I don't know. CBS might. We do not. This is just a family owned business. I don't know (laughs) what to tell you. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you know, you you can't do everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's just how it works. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the three of your f- films that I've watched all over the two Mothman films and what is it called? The, the d- 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 terror of the skies. Oh, terror in the skies. I love that one. Yeah. I that love was before I was involved, stories. but that was like right before that was the first one, uh, or immediately before I was brought on as researcher, but yeah, Seth did a great job on that. That was all around Illinois, like Alton, Illinois. Yeah. You know, they spent a lot of time there. Yeah. I liked the way that it, with each film, we try to have a different style to it. Mm -hmm. And the intros always have a different flavor and terror in the skies is probably one of my, well, Ruguru is now my favorite for the intro, but Terror in the Skies was one of my favorites from the just I like that the the color scheme mm-hmm. the sound and all of that and we have and I haven't gotten to meet him yet but Brandon Dalo does the music for us mm-hmm. and he is as far as I'm concerned a genius when it comes to that kind of thing because it just all melds really well yeah um, but the way that he gets everything to work with the the scenery and I don't know he does a good job but yeah Terror in the Skies was a good one too. 
for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you do stuff, you know, for yourself, when you're not doing your work, what kind of, what kind of paranormal fun stuff do you get into? Well, um, there's a group around here called hometown paranormal that let me in their group. <laughs> um, it's actually, uh, I had started going on some public investigations and posting about it on Facebook. The like uh, Mansfield reformatory, for example, was one mm -hmm. of them. And then a friend from like elementary school messaged me and he was like, well, you know, if you're into ghost hunting, my friends and I do that. If you want to come along with us. And I'm like, yes, I do. I want to come along with you. And he was like, yeah, we rent places out. And I'm like, what? Just, oh, just us. Cool. And he's like, yeah. Cause you split how much, I mean, it's not cheap yeah. to do this by any means, but no. if you get enough people, you can split. And, uh, so then I started going around with them and basically said, teach me everything. I want to know what these pieces of equipment are. How do you use them? What's the purpose of them? What are their flaws? And, um, so that's what we do. Of course, this, this year, I think the last time we went out was April <clears throat> because everybody switched jobs and things had changed. And so schedule, lining schedules up is very difficult, but we have another one scheduled for October. It's someplace in Warren, Ohio. I forget what he said the house is called. It's a place I haven't been to before, but um, that's what I do for the paranormal stuff <clears throat> when it's not work related is go with them and spend the night. Or uh, this summer I went out to Indiana and met up with Sharice uh, Williams, who I met her on Instagram a while ago she does psychic things and tarot readings and stuff like that. And um, she was out in Indiana and we met up with the hosts of the Hex Files and Cursed podcast out of North Carolina, Bones and Tamara. And we all split the cost of two locations. And so went out there and spent a couple of days at uh, an infirmary and then a jail and did investigation with them, which was interesting because they wanted the whole reason that that group came together was because they wanted to try an investigation where people were more witchy, I guess, mm -hmm. more pagan, like, um, as a group to see how that would be different as opposed to like a mixed bag of people or all Christians or whatever, or no denomination. I mean, it doesn't, uh, but they wanted to see what that would be like to have a group like that. And so we went in there and it was different. It was, it was, I mean, everybody approaches things differently. So it was refreshing to see a different take on investigation. But I did miss going with my regular group, of course, because it's something that I'm used to. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for that kind of comfort in a crowd. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing where uh, one thing that I was really thankful about going with the group that I do tend to go with is that from the very beginning, they were very open about if you see something or feel something, say it. No one here is going to judge you. And if nothing else, then they can help you through it. So, you know, I may think that I saw something or heard something, and then we can go through the steps of, all right, what else could it have been? You know, like mm -hmm. debunking or, hey, I've experienced that too, but it's just this one door moves every time the wind blows or whatever, because right. they have far more experience than I do when it comes to that. But <clears throat> where if it were a bunch of strangers 
which wasn't really the case with Indiana because I felt like I knew those people from talking to them online so much. Um, but if it were a group of strangers, I would be more hesitant to say anything. Right. Um, yeah. Because I don't know where everybody else stands on that. So they, like, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I just sit back and hope that something happens to them. And then, <laughs> yeah. And then I could be like, oh, yeah, definitely. Shadow figure saw it and then act like it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, man, that's that's so last week. Saga yeah, I mean, shadow figures, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm terrible for seeing stuff and then not saying anything and waiting for the person next to me to go, hey, you see that over there? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm, what do you see? Uh, yeah. Looks like some ladies dancing around those trees. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching those. How long you been watching this? About 10 minutes. Girl, why didn't you say something? Yeah. I didn't want to influence what you were seeing. Mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah. I tend to a lot. I tend to do a very very similar thing so Barbara and I end up on long quiet walks in the woods. <laughs> Until one of us stops and then the other one stops and then it's we like look a at game each of other. Chicken. It's like, yeah. Who's gonna break? <laughs> Did you yeah. see that? Uh what? What? Did you see it? You tell me what you saw, and then I'll tell you what I saw. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. You think been there, after done all that. these years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last time we went out, we both got headaches at the same time, and yeah, we, we pretty much said it. At the it was same, the same time. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing because I you were I don't even know which one of us brought it up, but it was like I'm like, I'm getting a headache, and you're like, Yeah, right here. I'm like, Yeah, you're like, let's just go. <laughs> yeah. 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 The one time that we had that it's the most prominent in my memory was at Mansfield Reformatory. It was after the uh small town monsters crew had left because we filmed an episode of On the Trail of Hauntings. They left, but my crew that I actually ghost hunt with overnight at places was there. And so we stayed and we were up in the West attic, <clears throat> which actually half the group was up there because I had to finish stuff with, with Seth and the guys um, before they left. So the, the, the rest of the group was gone. They were already up in the West attic. And then they come retrieve me after the STM leaves and they're like, you need to get up there. There's there's something really weird happening. And they start to describe these. Um, it would be like a shadow figure, but if it were made of light. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, right. Well, I was like, okay. And so they're telling me about telling me about this. And I know that we don't mess with each other like that. I mean, we might mm -hmm. play, but we don't just make up stuff. Yeah. And so they're explaining to me what this figure is. And they're like, it, it walked toward us and then it dropped down on all fours and it crawled. And I was like, all right, well, I don't know if I want to go if it's crawling because that freaks me out. Yeah. That's uh that's uh <laughs> mm, that's a yeah. maybe no. Yeah. <laughs> but we went up to the West attic. They got me up there. We went to the one end, we all sat down and they're like, just wait, just wait. So I'm waiting. And then I started to see lights. It was first like spook lights, just balls of light moving across, which, um, the tour guide that had taken us around had mentioned that, that the West attic was known for that, but I'd never, I mean, I hadn't been there to see it. So I see these lights going around. I'm like, I'm seeing lights and they're like, okay, what color? So then we, that's, we started to this, what color are you seeing? All right. Are you seeing anything on the left side of the room? Are you seeing anything on the right side of the room? And we continued to do that until like it ended up being like a figure of light that would move, but 
and it would walk back and forth and stuff. But it was that constant for the 45 minutes that we were in that room. What do you see? I, you tell me what you see first. Because um, <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, that was the first time we'd experienced that particular phenomena. Yeah. So that was also part of it is that none of us knew what in the world we were looking at, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, which was off putting on its own. I was terrified. Um, and I think it was, uh, I think it was my friend Travis that was next to me that I had a hold of his arm and he was like, I can't feel my arm right now. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's too bad, buddy, because I'm not letting go yeah. right now. Um, I didn't, I mean, I, I realistically didn't think anything was going like it was going to physically harm us, but it was just unnerving. It's it unnerving. Something new. Yeah. So, it's scary when you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like shadow figures and stuff. I've seen enough of those that it literally is, oh, okay, shadow figure. <laughs> yeah, it's, all right, great. I mean, it's cool to see them and stuff, but I've seen enough of them that they don't frighten me unless they were to right. take on the form of something really grotesque, which right. does happen sometimes. Um, but with a, a light figure, no. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first and only time that's happened so far, and I was not a fan, especially because it did do the drop-down thing. Oh, and I was see. out. Anything that does that, it doesn't matter. A shadow figure can do that, and I'm gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that, the crawling stuff. Yeah, that that's that's like some turning into spider things. And mm. no, 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 no. Yeah, no. that's no exactly spiders. what I thought of. Is that like all of a sudden it has these long, creepy mm-hmm. legs, and you're like, yeah, nope, nope. I don't like spiders. That's Mm-mm. one of my biggest phobias. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. Although I've seen plenty of light beings, so. I probably would have been like, oh, it's okay. Don't That's worry. Carl. And you know Shut what? Up, that would have that would have made me feel better because <laughs> I was sitting yeah. there with uh, Courtney, who's just as inexperienced as I am when it comes to this. And then Travis and Eric, who've been doing this for many years, and they had never seen it. So that also did not help me. Whenever yeah. we have people that have yeah. you know, 15 years of experience or whatever. And they're like, I don't but know what that is. Seen that. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> like, yeah. I look to you for guidance. I don't know. Uh, it's I don't like know the, how to feel about this. It's like the doctor saying, that's really weird. Yeah. That's oh. not what I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Let me be your guinea pig then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, um, what other fun stories do you have of, I mean, you've seen lots of, lots of shadow figures. So, yeah. So let's see one. So, um, one thing that's interesting is, uh, it was at Fairfield County infirmary, which is in Ohio, uh, Lancaster, Ohio, I believe. Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's like a three-hour drive from where I am. It is exhausting to drive back that early in the morning. Um, But we were there. It was the first or second time that we'd been there because we've been there a handful of times now. And we had the Mel meter out. We'll bring the Mel meter out, but we don't turn on all of its functions. Usually we just leave it on the REM function, like a REM pod, a mobile REM pod or whatever. And then if something gets close, the lights change. And we got into this... So Travis had that, and then Courtney had a um, thermal thing that she could just plug into her iPhone. It's like the flare, mm-hmm. but you plug it in, and it uses your camera. Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Yeah. And we, we were walking around, and for some reason, I can't remember now because it's been a couple of years, but we stopped at this one room for whatever reason, 
and decided to look in the room with the FLIR. And there was a cold spot in the corner, just in the one corner. Um, and it would shift like the cold spot would move. And so we had Travis, like it would shrink in size and then get, you know, get small and then get big and narrow out. So we had Travis come in with the Melmeter and we started talking and the Melmeter would start responding to the point that, and I've, I haven't seen anything like that since then, but we could say, okay, light it to purple or what, and it would light it to purple, light it to red, light it to yellow. And it was going to the exact colors, you know, That's make this go twice and it would go twice. Um, and so then we'd start asking questions, you know, um, for yes or no questions like, yes, if yes, turn it on. If no, don't respond or whatever. So we, we started to try to have a conversation with whatever was there. And what we noticed was that <clears throat> if somebody would walk toward the cold spot, the, the cold spot wouldn't disappear, but it would change. And it, almost like it was trying to, at one point we sent Courtney over, she's kind of short and it was <laughs> about her height. And so we're like, is that how tall you are? And it beeped. And so they're like, okay. So we send Travis over. Travis goes over and that cold spot just got longer and like it just thinned out, <laughs> but it got taller until we're like, are you standing on your tiptoes or whatever? And it, and it beeped. <laughs> but um, anyway, like, so then it got to a point where we would, we would start laughing because we're always having fun. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we were laughing about something and the Melmeter started the lights started flickering as if it were a laugh. I mean, just like fast, fast, fast. And we're like, are you laughing so with cool. us? And it went, you know, all the way to red. Um, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. And that, that was, we ended that, we thought based on the questions and stuff, that was a little girl that had been in there. So we started calling her little one. And then she tended to, it seemed that she followed us around most until we got upstairs to the attic and then she disappeared. Um, uh, see, that's, mm, that might be a hint, right? <laughs> what we heard her, what happened was we went to the attic and then we turned on the phasma box. We had the speaker at the time, um, so that everybody could hear it. Excuse me. And at first there was a little girl voice that came across. And then shortly after her voice was this booming mean male voice. And then she quit responding on the Melmeter. And then the Aww. voice quit coming across the phasma box. And it wasn't until later when we went back down to her room where we found her, that she was there. And then she would walk with us through the hallways. But if we got close to the staircase that led upstairs, she quit responding. Um, but that was fantastic. I mean, that was one of my, my favorite memories. And then another thing that we've done um, in more recent ones was that um, one of us will get on a spirit box with the headphones. We'll do the Estes method. Mm-hmm which the results that we've gotten on that can be insane. But um, one of what we've started doing lately is that one of us will get on spirit box and somebody else will get on the phasma box and we'll be in separate rooms. Or if it's a massive room, it, one will be on one end and another, and then the rest of the team's in the middle. So they can ask questions and they can hear us both, but we can't hear each other. Well, we can't hear them in the middle of the room either, but right. anyway, the idea is that we're using internet frequency versus AM or FM and when they start to coincide, that seems to be better evidence in our minds anyway of, you know, we're hearing the same thing, stuff's communicating. And what's happened with that is that we were at um, Licking County Jail in Ohio the first time we tried that. And 
the group, I guess, because I was the one of them that was under. Travis was the other one. He was in a different area of the basement. We just started having a conversation, I guess. And so the team just quit talking. They quit asking questions and they just listened as we were talking back and forth. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So that happened. And then there's been other times where we'll be in different rooms, but we hear the same thing. So, and it doesn't always make sense. Like we were at uh, Brownella, which is in Galleon, Ohio. It's near Mansfield. And I had the spirit box on and Travis has the phasma box or either way around we interchange, but I kept hearing what sounded like uh, an arcade, like actually an arcade game in an arcade, just being unplugged, like, like everything just mm -hmm. shutting down. And when I hear weird things at first, I don't usually say anything about them. It has to happen more than once before mm -hmm. I feel like it's worth saying. And it happened three or four times. And finally I'm like, all right, there's this weird sound. <laughs> and I explained it. And we have recorders going now because this has been odd enough enough times that now we're actually recording this. Yeah. But right after I said that from the other room, Travis says, guys, this sounds like when Pac-Man dies. Like what? This oh my God. Sense. Exactly that sound. Yeah. That's funny. Um, but it's, it's just, it's wild. I don't know what the point of that was, like why that was what we were hearing. Um, cause it wasn't relevant to anything. <laughs> But it is interesting when that happens. Could it have been it, it dating itself? You know what? I didn't think about that. It could have been for it's sure. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. One, one thing that came across on that recording as well. Um, and this, I was in the other room. So it was with Travis where you can hear the people on the team say, all right, if you're in here and they whisper it, <laughs> touch Travis on the leg. And almost immediately you hear Travis yip <laughs> and he, uh, he ripped his headphones off. I mean, you can hear him jump up out of the chair and he was like, something just bit my leg. Oh <laughs> yeah. And he was oh. like, turn the lights on, turn the lights on. And he's got a flashlight <laughs> on. He's looking, he didn't have any marks or anything, but he felt that pinch. That's and, uh, I don't know that I get entertained by that part. I never, I'm like, well, good, good for telling him to touch Travis. Cause I'd rather not be messed with like that. But yeah. I'd still be running today. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take a drink. Too. Yeah. Yeah. We all drink at the same time. We time. all just took a drink. <laughs> so you all do it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to jump in there with my drink. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing that you, that you've got coinciding, you know, sounds, the sound. That's, that's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. That, and, and it's interesting too, sometimes, um, to hear when you're doing the spirit box or the phasma box, sometimes there's a voice that comes through that's consistent, the tone of the voice, the cadence of the voice. Um, cause a lot of times it seems like it's just a bunch of different pitches or whatever. And if you hear a word, you just say it and then maybe a string comes together or whatever. But when it's the same voice that comes through, that's always cool too. There's one that has come through, um, at my house that I live in now, not this one. <laughs> and, uh, it, when it comes in and it doesn't come in at first, cause I've had friends over cause there's been history with stuff on the property or whatever. And so I was like, let's investigate. <laughs> uh, and so we've had friends come over and it's happened multiple times where 
that we'll have a whole session. I mean, it can go 30, 40 minutes. And then all of a sudden this sing song voice comes in and the whole tone changes that, I mean, he's, I say he, cause it sounds like a male voice, but I don't know if there's a gender to such things, but um, it's a sing song quality to the voice. And you almost feel like bouncing as it's coming through, like a whole change. I don't know if that's a good thing because some <laughs> of the stuff that it says is kind of questionable, but um, it's weird. What I'm starting to learn now is to also lean into if there are certain feelings that come about whenever mm -hmm, you're yeah. hearing this, like I've had moments where I'm like, I'm panicking. I don't know why I'm just sitting here, but I feel panic or I feel really angry right now. Right. Um, and so I'll, I'll say that out. And when I'm under, if there's something significant about the voice, I will say that like, Oh, that voice sounds angry. Um, or that sounds like a little girl, female, male. I try to denote all of that because on playback, I think sometimes that's helpful, but. <laughs> that's my dog. There's something in the woods and he's just after it. It's, it's going to end up dead in the middle of my yard by morning. And <laughs> I, he leaves me dead raccoons all the time. I just mow around them anymore. Cause there are just so many of them. <laughs> Crazy. I've been to her house. It occasionally looks like the killing fields for raccoons. It does. It does. <laughs> we have these tiny little saplings and it'll chase like a full grown, he'll chase a full grown uh, raccoon into the top of the tree and it's bent like this oh. and the dogs are going nuts and it's screaming profanities and I'm like, great. This, is, this is how we all die. Poor raccoons. <laughs> Because he's going to injure it, and then it's going to come after us. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to remember. It'll tell yes. its plan. That house yes. over there. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. And the thing is, is when raccoons get angry, they do sound like a, a entire squadron of demonic. It's awful. Impish, horrible things. <laughs> it's awful. So, yeah. Sometimes I'm glad I don't actually live in the woods anymore. <laughs> it comes with its own bouquet of sound <laughs> yes yes so um what kind of uh other writing projects do you do i know you do a lot of things so yeah so um one of the more recent things was I had uh, the first volume of the Feminine Macabre journal that came out. Um, I had a piece in that, which was about cursed objects, particularly the rocks from the Bell Witch Cave. So excellent. Um, that was there. I didn't submit anything for volume two because there was some, I don't know, we had a lot going on with STM at the time and I just didn't do it. But volume three is open for submission. Mm -hmm, yeah. so I'm going to try to get on that. I'm going to we'll try to. So. I don't know what I'm going to write about yet, but you know, if I get on it here, <laughs> um, yeah. but so that was one of the more recent things I have been a weird writer for Shannon LaGros into the fray radio blog, mm -hmm. uh, weird writer blog for a little while now, a couple years at least. Um, so there's some pieces there. Um, I recently have not been a part of the caravan of lore podcast, but I was for a while um, as a co-host with Lady Anne. And we have a blog over there and I would write on that blog, which that one is a little different. For Into the Fray Weird Writer, I try to keep things more academic. I mean, it's still kind of a conversation between me and the reader, but 
I put the footnotes and so on. I like, I like to give people something else to look to after they've mm-hmm. read whatever it is. I like to cite my sources is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, and I did that for the uh, caravan blog as well, but the caravan blog was more um, when I was writing for that, it was more of me trying to take on this persona of who's driving the caravan. Um, and that a lot of that was inspired by at the time when I started, I was a dungeon master for our Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And so I was really into storytelling mode. And so I tried to make, make it as if I were talking to you traveler along the road, come step up into the caravan and let me tell you a story. And that was all really folklore heavy. I would still cite sources and stuff for that, but it was more of a storytelling thing rather than a straight blog. So there's that, um, as far as the academic stuff, there were a couple books when I went to conferences overseas. Um, I have some pieces that were in books that had come together from like a handful of participants were chosen to contribute a chapter to a book that was inspired by whatever. And so I've got one on um, Roman love letters and Cicero is in that my favorite, uh, but uh, Roman love letters. And then, I've got another one that actually it should be coming out soon. It's been quite a process getting stuff printed in Europe apparently is a lot different than getting stuff printed in the U S it's a lot slower, at least in my experience. Mm -hmm. And um, this would have been from 2018, 2017. Yeah, maybe 2017. I don't remember. It's one of those two that um, I got a, there's a chapter that'll be coming out in that. And that is about the moral panic um, with the Bakit cult, but particularly with how women were framed in that, because it was uh, from a conference about evil and women. So that's something that's always bothered me is the link between femininity and evil. Yeah. That was an amazing conference. Yeah. That was our complete topic. Mm -hmm. Um, Women and evil, evil and women. I think it was what it was called. And, um, yeah, I mean, even when you look at the Bacchus called, I mean, Dionysus Bacchus was a very effeminate God. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes things a little more, I guess, a little easier to kind of be a target for something when it comes to moral panics. And then yeah. the idea that men would, that women could, to, could become so frenzied that they could rip things apart. So they take on a masculine quality where men in some of the stories, which who knows mm-hmm. if they were true, become effeminate, I guess, and allow themselves to be violated. And um, right. so they take a submissive role and that's all bad. So, right. uh, yeah, but those are, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's, I don't know. I think sometimes it's easier in a way for them. It's stuff that they don't know. That certainly happened with the Bakit cult. Mm-hmm that they were, there was too much mystery around it. So they could kind of make up whatever they wanted. Yes. Um, and then, I mean, they couldn't disprove it, I guess, uh, when it came to certain things. And certainly when there's powers that be that are throwing out the accusations, it's kind of a losing battle. Exactly. That there is a weight to it that you just can't fight. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a, it's not a level playing field by any stretch. Right. That's exactly what happened because the, with 
the Bakit cult, that the argument that I have for that in my thesis anyway, mm -hmm. is that it's possibly the first moral panic that we have in writing evidence of that. And Livy wrote about it. And so according to Livy, not that ancient historians aren't biased because they certainly are. Right. But in Livy's words, there were, I believe, 7,000 citizens, citizens of Rome that were either imprisoned or put to death as a result of this persecution on Bacchic cult. Wow. Um, and that's unheard of. Normally they don't, I mean, when it came to Rome, citizens weren't the ones that were being persecuted. Usually the citizens were kind of hands off. I mean, not that you right. could commit some atrocity or whatever and not get punished for it. But I mean, when you're thinking about gladiatorial games and uh, of course, gladiators weren't people that did anything wrong necessarily. They were like highly skilled and trained. But when you get to the, the murders at noon, the, the, con the condemnations at noon yeah. during lunchtime, those were usually not citizens that were put in the arena to die. They were foreigners. Right. So, um, yeah, that was another thing that I, another class by that amazing professor. That's that so cool that you had that. Way. Yeah. One of my favorite classes by him was called Roman Decadence. Oh. And so we had to learn about the different vices and virtues. And then you had to choose if you wanted to be someone who embodied a virtue or a vice and then role play that and then see how that worked in the, in the town as far as gaining power and so on. That's really neat. That yeah. was, we, I did two years of Latin in high school and I remember touching on that on the, in the second year. Yeah. Yeah. It was that sounds, how much of an influence was that teacher on your uh, path? Uh, he was a huge influence on every, <laughs> on everything because when I started college, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so mm -hmm. I went to Kent State University, which is okay. where I teach right now as well. But um, when you start and you don't know what you want to be, there was something, or at least there used to be something called an exploratory major, which mm -hmm. just means you start taking all your LERs. Um, and then maybe something works and you declare that. So mm -hmm. I started with uh, Greek achievement in the fall of my freshman year at like seven o'clock in the morning, which is a huge mistake. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it works fine in high school, but as you get older, that's not fun. Um, <laughs> Especially college. <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. A uh, huge mistake. But I took that Greek achievement, was kind of interested, but the Greeks don't really do it for me. Mm -hmm. When I took Rome or Roman achievement. Then in the spring, it was with Dr. Brian Harvey. And at the time Roman achievement, it was just a regular course. He wasn't doing the role-playing stuff for the lower stuff. That's more for the graduate level courses. Okay. But he taught with such enthusiasm that it was difficult to not love what he was talking about. That's fantastic. And I already had an interest in Julius Caesar going into the class and um, Gladiator had just come out a few years before mm -hmm. and I had memorized this entire scene uh, between uh, Joaquin Phoenix and his, so Marcus Aurelius and Commodus, there's this whole scene where he talks about vi vices and virtues. And so when we got to that part of our class, Dr. Harvey actually played that scene. And that day I was like, I'm declaring my major as classics. <laughs> That's so and cool. Yeah. And then I just took as many, I mean, the, the other classics professors there were great as well, but there was something about his classes. He was just always 
so happy to talk about all of this, all of this. And he would laugh about it. Um, now I had Dr. Larson, she's, uh, more, she's a Hellenist really. Mm -hmm. So sure. You know, the Greek stuff, it's funny to, when she starts teaching and <laughs> when she starts talking about like sacrifices and stuff, she has this really hilarious laugh that she does, <laughs> which you would think that's so sinister, but it's hilarious actually, um, to hear her get excited <laughs> about these kind of things, you know, like she murdered that guy. Ha <laughs> Um, it's great, <laughs> but Dr. Harvey just gets so excited about this. And then, uh, when he gets you into the role-playing aspect, I mean, we, he inspired even the most backwards people that I knew in the class to come out of their shell and, and embody these characters. And so that was a huge inspiration for me going forward in all things, because then I started to look for the people that are passionate about whatever it is they're talking about. Right. And if you're passionate about it, you're going to get my attention. Even if I'm not really interested in the subject, I will yeah. respect it more mm -hmm. and respect you more. And so then I try to also not hide my enthusiasm when it comes to these things either, because I can't help but think that that helps someone else as well. Yeah. And it feels better. It feels better to just be really open about, yeah, I love all this crazy mm -hmm. stuff. It's yeah. awesome. Um, you know, come join me. I'll yeah. tell you more. I'll tell you stories. Let's go. <laughs> come to the weird side. We have cookies. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. So, um, what sort of, uh, you know, you're really into folklore. Yes. So do you have a specific type of folklore that you, you like? American, European, fairy lore, uh, vampire lore, witches, Bigfoot, so, wild men. <laughs> if it's from Appalachia, I already like it. Right. End of story. But as far as if we're getting to specific genres that are not necessarily tied to geography, I am highly interested in ghosts, particularly spook lights, um, and the different, the million different names for spook lights. Yay. Um, and, um, so ghosts, spook lights, and then witch lore, I find highly interesting. Um, so those are ones that I would by default go to, but whenever I'm tasked with something for small town monsters, so the most recent one, well, UFOs would have been one of the more recent ones, but like Rougarou was really heavy for that. So I'm going mm -hmm. into werewolf lore. Mm -hmm. um, werewolves aren't necessarily my thing, but whenever I start into it, I go all in on it. And so I still find stuff that I really enjoy. Plus it, you can see some similarities that cross between like witch lore and werewolf mm -hmm. lore, whether right. it's the silver bullet that can kill both um, or is a right. weakness for both that kind of stuff. And so just for me personally, I like going into all of these things like deep dive into these different things and then seeing the similarities between different ones, because then I can sit there and think about, all right, so what was the original story? Yeah. Like what was the beginning of all of this and why does, why did these things stay throughout time? And if you go back into older stories and you find all these differences, why did these things fall away? But others were still clinging even through to today. Right. I don't know. That's the kind of stuff I like to ponder on. Don't know if there's an answer for them, but I still like to think about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I like things um, 
Well, there's the the confluence of shape shifting and and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's in Europe, but it's also in the New World. Mm-hmm. Um, skinwalkers, yeah, are very popular on Reddit now, and I I I don't read Reddit or speak on it anymore because I got tired of going. Hey, white people, everything's not a skinwalker. Okay? Yeah. yeah, I know it was on the TV, but it's mm-hmm. not all that. But you know that was. Uh, uh, Navajo specific DNA mm-hmm. specific mm-hmm. witch uh, magic yeah. user who did certain rituals to be able to change shape and, and they were mm-hmm. never considered to be particularly good right. um, and you didn't even say the word because yeah. you didn't want to draw their attention which is the other mm-hmm. thing I keep trying to you know, when I was on Reddit, I would try to say to people, you know, you could stop just saying that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Stop. Just just don't do that. But I did like how that mirrored the a lot of the Western European uh, stories about uh, lycanthropes having been witches or having mm-hmm. been cursed by a witch mm-hmm. or changed by a witch in some way. Because you could, of course, go to a witch and yeah. ask to be changed into a wolf or to have the power to change into a wolf. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was interesting that wolves are the the thing that most are most changed into mm-hmm. and why that is. And I always yeah. thought maybe it was because of the dichotomy between wolf and dog, you mm-hmm. know, humans yeah, civilized and uncivilized. Yes. And humans may never have really had agriculture without dogs Mm-hmm. So they're such a part of our lives. And then right. wolves were the nemesis mm-hmm. and, you know, were very frightening. So I just like yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I find that all of that very interesting. And even when it comes to Skinwalker to, to see that's one because of it's, it's a buzzword right now. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting to see that we're living in a time where it's meaning is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like the original meaning was one thing, but if enough people start mm-hmm. using it in a different context, eventually it starts to take on those qualities. Um, so I, I'm seeing that as well. Like even when we did, um, when we put Rougarou out, I call it Rougarou, but we had to change the title and it, we had to change it to Skinwalker, Howl of the Rougarou, because it was just going to be the Howl of the Rougarou. But um, then we were told by our... Um, distribution company that nobody knows what a Rougarou is. So, or, you know, not enough people know what a Rougarou is and we have to get people to watch it first. So we were like, all right, well, and, and we do talk about it. it, We kind of explain it. I mean, we do explain it in the first 30 seconds of the movie, which is an intro that Santino Vitale did an excellent job creating um, about how things shift. So it's the metamorphosis of a, a, a group, a tribe that had, kind of um, they were driven out and then turned to cannibalism and then they, they morph, they change. You have this whole metamorphosis and then they become the, the Rougarou. Mm-hmm. And um, it's similar to a skinwalker type tradition. People are changed. And so, and the whole, the, there's a whole joke about that, that I get, I helped Seth write the movie. And then I was in Indiana on a ghost hunt 
whenever he announced it on Facebook that it was being titled Skinwalker, Howl of the Rougarou. And I found out after all of Facebook knew. <laughs> he, me and he was like, hey, I want you to know we changed the title. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't care what it's called. I'm just glad that I got to help be a yeah. part of it. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, in wishes change. I mean, witches have changed a ton mm -hmm. over time. Um, any of these characters actually, or any of these elements from folklore seem to shift. But I mean, we even see it with Mothman. Yep. Like, and that's not even that old as far as yeah. the term Mothman goes. Um, it shifts significantly <laughs> from when it was first seen in the 60s. Well, seen for the first time, I guess I should yeah. say. Who knows? But when it was named Mothman, whatever right, it is, it was different. It was, some of the descriptions were much different than what we think today. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. And all, all of that, I like to think about what is it about us that we latch on to certain things that causes us to shift things like why. And some of it you can see in uh, like pop culture at the time. Media has a huge influence on that. Like we were talking about with Skinwalker stuff, but um, I'm thinking about uh, vampires. Mm -hmm. I was just, I, huge. Yeah. Vampires. I was just thinking about that. So you get like Anne Rice, with yep. interview with a vampire and then every subsequent book after that you have her and then of course twilight came out mm -hmm. but then um and what why can i i just lost her name shame on me she was uh she worked at npr and she wrote drawing down the moon margo, margo adler, adler right margo adler and she wrote a book on vampires like our mm -hmm. fascination with vampires whoops Arfa and I'm trying to look it up now. Margot Adler, Vampires, right? I'm pretty sure that has to be her, Vampires. Uh, about our, yeah, Vampires Are Us, Understanding mm -hmm. Our Love Affair with the Immortal Dark Side. I love Margot Adler. I think I heard her actually on NPR talking about this, where mm -hmm. she studied the vampire lore through the ages and how it reflects what's important in that culture. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, what and it was perceived as power at the time. Right, and our yeah. fears and so on. So when you look at, like, um, oh, man, my brain is not working right now. But out on the East Coast, some of our first vampires, mm -hmm. it was tuberculosis. Oh, up in Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went to her grave. I can't remember her name. Uh, something her Brown. Yeah. Amity Brown. Uh, I don't. I saw her grave. I've got a picture of it though, but she like it's up in Warwick, Rhode, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. lived very near there at one time. Yeah. And she, um, you know, so at first here in America, anyway, like one of the earlier fears of vampires were driven by something that was happening, an external force mm -hmm. that we didn't quite understand. And so we label that as vamp vampirism when it wasn't really. But then later, I mean, Okay, that's it. Mercy Brown. Thank you for looking that up. Mercy Brown. Right. Um, but now vampires are romanticized a little bit. They're more, mm -hmm. I mean, they're seductive. They're sexy. It's not something necessarily to be feared. Not that you shouldn't be weary of them. But right. they're more attractive. They seem to be more of a, a primal attraction than they would have been whenever tuberculosis was running rampant. Although there a, was the, the tuberculosis. Sociopath. Yeah. There was the mm. whole tuberculosis look that was popular. The pale skin with mm. the fever spots on the cheeks, 
Um, when you took laudanum, it made your, your pupils dilate. So you Mm -hmm. had these big dark eyes, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, you got a little bit of, uh, disease chic going on there too. (laughs) So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, So that happened. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting to see the things that we cling to and, and why, and then look at what else is happening. Cause at least what I learned while doing my, especially the, well, for both undergrad and master's thesis is something is happening in, in the society at the time that causes this reaction. So um, it's sometimes it's a little harder to pinpoint when you're in real time because mm-hmm. there's all bunch of things happening at once. But when you get to look back a couple years later or a decade later, you can start to see how all the pieces fit together. Well, of course we were more afraid of this because X, Y, and Z was happening over here and that bled into this realm. And then to see how all that interplay works with us. I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that intrigues me. Yeah. 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 I, I said it before. I, I really like the way you blend like the, the culture with the folklore, with the monsters. I think that's really, I like that. It, Thank you. you. Draw a direct link between it though. Some people kind of don't <laughs> seem to put the two together. I mean, obviously they have to coexist. Yeah. But you see it as it dovetails, not yeah. just that it's parallel lines. And I like that. Yeah, there's another, um, well, thank you. <laughs> there's another <laughs> um, professor that I had that I only got, I only got to take him for one course, unfortunately, because the, like my major courses got in the way of other classes, but I took him for um, ancient Civ one, which is the only one I was really interested in because I like from the beginning of time to the Romans. And then I'm kind of out for the most part, except witch trials. But um, the way that he taught was very intriguing to me and made a lot of sense. It really spoke to me. And I bring that into when I do my research with folk tales and so on. And the way that he taught us ancient Sith was he would talk about these societies and then say, now look at their religion or what we know of their religion. Notice how the Sumerians, it was all doom and gloom. Death was dead. Like that's it. Here's where they lived. And so it makes sense that their religion would reflect that. Now, when we get to Egypt, um, of course there was doom and gloom, but there was a chance for paradise And so he's saying, well, when the Nile floods and it gets green again, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that chance for renewal and that's reflected in their religion. And um, I feel like that could speak to a lot of our stories that we tell, whether it's religion or folk tales, um, that it kind of all reflects that way. Something in our lives sparked a story. And whether that, I mean, whether it's a belief system entirely or just a a folk tale in general, something happened that sparked that. So what is that? And why did that speak to us enough that we put it down in writing or orally said it until somebody else put it in writing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I always think of folklore as separate from fiction and that fiction is always meant to entertain and Mm -hmm. maybe teach, but Mm -hmm. folklore is a story that's told. I think of it as a story that's told because it happened to someone Mm -hmm. and then it gets passed down. Mm -hmm. So you get beliefs that grow up around that, like the Mm -hmm. fairy lore 
you know, somebody yeah. saw the will of the wisps and got dragged off, you know, <laughs> and yeah. danced until dawn and, you know, all these things happened or they, or they were kidnapped by the fairies or whatever, you know, just like being abducted by aliens. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes this lore. And then fiction comes along when people kind of write that down and tell other stories about it. So it becomes this whole cultural conglomeration of mm -hmm. story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also with folktales, I mean, folktales can be really simple too. It can be mm -hmm. like seeing the woolly worm and saying, Hey, this winter is going to be warm because most of the woolly worm is brown. But yeah. I mean, there was a piece of something of that story at one point that made sense to somebody like mm -hmm. when it, when it, when it was more important for us to watch the seasons. Right. And so that's the kind of stuff that I love that, that, that just sticks with us for whatever reason. And, um, the Patrick, Patrick Gaynor has a book. Uh, I think it's called witches, ghosts, and signs. It's a red cover. And the first part is about witches, witch lore. And then there's ghost lore and then signs. And the signs are usually like one liners. I mean, the kind of stuff mm -hmm. you find in like the farm, farmer's almanac or something mm -hmm. about the woolly worms or when the leaves turn upside down, uh, it's going to rain and that kind of stuff. And then I like to, to think about back when we were more connected to mm -hmm. nature because we had to be, there wasn't a choice mm -hmm. um, that we took the time to take note of this because we had to, we had to work together um, with nature or we weren't surviving. Yeah. And I find all of that super super interesting. So then when you get into folklore with actual like monsters and stuff, I think about, all right, what was the fear? What mm -hmm. was the danger that caused us to come up with these monsters or what were we seeing that didn't make sense? I mean, yeah. I feel like uh, yeah. Folklore is there to explain something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see it even in like, of course, going back to the Greek and Roman stuff, classical mythology. I mean, they come up with these myths it's not that the Greeks like invented myth by any means, but um, and the Romans certainly just borrowed a lot pretty heavily, but they couldn't explain stuff. So they came up with stories because they wanted, they wanted to make sense of their world. And so yeah. this is how they did it. And they came up with stories about these different gods and goddesses um, and how they interacted. And of course this means that, um, but they didn't understand everything. So like, and we still don't to this day, but we understand a lot more about the natural world than they did to a certain extent. But like um, Pompeii, when Pompeii, uh, when the volcano exploded or erupted, I guess I should say, <laughs> uh, they didn't know what a volcano was. So they had no idea what to do. <laughs> For them, it had to have looked like, well, Hephaestus is really angry right now. Don't know why. We must have done something wrong. Maybe we didn't do our sacrifices right or whatever, but they didn't know what was happening exactly. Right. Um, from what, like at that point in time, there wasn't a word in Latin that meant volcano. Like it literally was not on their radar. It was just a mountain. Um, and now yeah. it's exploding. And so a lot of people, unfortunately, died because they didn't know what was coming. They didn't know to run. Some people didn't have a chance to run, but... Um, yeah, it's just they had they had stories to make sense of the world that they were living in. And then stories have to change when other things come up and we don't understand that. You just alter the story 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, volcanoes. The, yeah. Yeah. Volcanoes. That's why I live in Appalachia where we don't have them. Don't, I don't like don't. them. But you might get one in your backyard. Oh my God. That stupid National Geographic kids thing. <laughs> oh my God. You're a little younger than we are. You don't know what we mean. <laughs> so somewhere, I don't know where it came from, but Barbara knew because she's a little uh, enough older than me that I guess it came around like when she was forming memories and I was not. But all I remember was there was a story about a farmer and one day there was a hole in his backyard. And by the end of the day, it was a volcano. What? And I, yeah, I lived my whole life, you know, to get dry and then the dirt would crack and it look, I'm like, there's going to be a volcano. Yeah. We're this all is going to die. <laughs> it happened in Mexico. And uh, oh. your one of your siblings must have brought that National Geographic no, kids it in, thing. I was in school. Okay, so I was you, really you had it. You just, yeah. yeah. Okay, well then, they had it in school, and yeah. we read that story, and it horrified me, and I had nightmares, <laughs> and it was terrible. And the, the, the farmer had a son. It was a little boy who yes. ran out into the backyard to play. And there's this, there's this steam coming up yes. out of this hole. And then he goes to school and he comes back and, you know, there's a volcano that's taken up his whole front yard or backyard. And it's about to eat his house. And then the next day it eats the house, yeah. you know, and I, because wow. I didn't know where it had happened. All I know is that one day this guy got a volcano in his backyard. And like me, South Southern Ohio, I'm like, where's the volcano? <laughs> Over in West Virginia, I'm oh. doing the same thing. Oh, God. That's hilarious. That'd be like learning about sinkholes too when you're oh, young yeah. and not, yes. not knowing when those are going to open up. I remember hearing about a town not not too far away. It's closer to East Liverpool. It was like the town is on top of a bunch of mines. And so there's constantly sinkholes opening up. Yep. So that always made me thankful that I, I didn't grow up in a mining town um, because then I didn't have to worry about it. But that would be a constant fear for me if that were if I were in such an area to be like, all right, so when does the road just collapse? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's a yeah. the problem of quicksand. Oh yeah, quicksand yeah, was, was a horror like, for me. Quicksand, yeah. yeah. Bermuda Triangle scared me, even though I've never once flown that way. Right. <laughs> I always thought that that was something to always be worried about if I ever fly. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Bermuda Triangle. Anywhere, it would just reach out and grab you, mm -hmm. no matter where you were. <laughs> yep. And then you just disappear. Yep. National parks also scared. I mean, I'll go, <laughs> but you may disappear. I mean, that's a legit thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's the thing about the paranormal. It's not for the faint of heart, but you know no. that it's not just the paranormal. It's volcanoes and quicksand <laughs> and uh, killer bees. Killer bees oh, are a thing. Yes. They're terrible. Oh my gosh! Murder. Yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there was a story where a guy. I remember seeing it on the TV. A guy accidentally smashed a killer bee on his a lawnmower, like with his yep. foot. Yep. And then he died. And I'm like, I'm never mowing the lawn. Nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> Every bee at that point was a damn killer bee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this, yep. The 70s were not good to children. Eh? <laughs> no. You know, they let us run around out outside all the time and, and they, they didn't helicopter us, but, you know. They helicoptered us with terror. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, but that might become a volcano by evening. So don't get too happy. You know. <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> or they made the uh, the playground equipment that was killer, you know, on mm. top of asphalt and concrete. So you just fall off and break your head. And Yeah. yeah. When I was young, the fear was uh, at Halloween that candy would be like oh, yeah. laser blades in the candy. Yeah. Or it had been poisoned. And it, it, it bothered my mom enough that I was never allowed to actually go trick-or-treating door to door. I had to go, she was a nurse. And so uh, at the uh, nursing home, the residents would have bags of candy. That's what, that was my trick or treating experience. When I was little, I never went door to door. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I've done cute, it as an adult with my, my kids, but yeah, yeah, no, that's, I mean, this is why I'm paranoid. I think also as an adult with certain things, cause my mom was worried about stuff. <laughs> but, to be fair, I did have a friend we were at lunch and he bit into his candy and pulled it apart and there was a needle in it. Ew. So that did happen at least once. Yeah. See, I remember them also talking but, about when I was younger about people putting needles in like theater seats or uh, yeah. on gas pumps and stuff that they would say had AIDS or HIV or something. Yeah. Like I remember that whole thing. Uh, people were afraid of that. And then for a while, there were stories about people like hiding under your car, slicing cutting your, your Achilles, Achilles heel. Teal. Yep. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, now we're getting into urban legends. That's, that's right. That's we're getting cool. into urban legends now. It's just modern folklore. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Yeah. It's emergent folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then you get the vanishing hitchhikers and all of oh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I lived in that's... a town that had a vanishing hitchhiker. I was very distraught. I never found her. You oh, know. Man. Huntington, West Virginia. I was sad. I'd lived there eight years. Never saw her. <laughs> yeah i drove that damn road every night for four months never saw that hitchhiker although my mom you know and then i i was living in maryland when this happened and i was way old enough to know better i was like in my 30s um <laughs> we lived right off of route one and it it's a major thoroughfare that goes from columbia maryland down all the way to washington Mm -hmm. and uh i came off my street and i was driving it was raining and there was a woman standing there in the rain and she had on a fur coat and high heels and (laughs) so stupid and i was like oh she's in the rain and then i drove off you know and i came back because it was a short errand i was picking up my paycheck so i come back and she's still there and i'm like oh I should offer her a ride. And then this truck stops and she climbs in the, and I felt so stupid because she was working and Uh, I would have asked her if she needed a ride. Right. And (laughs) yeah, I remember telling my mother and she just shook her head (laughs) and said, you are such a good hearted and you're 30 something years old and you're still (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I mean, she could have been a vanishing hitchhiker mom. Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. no. <laughs> I wanted a vanishing hitchhiker and all I got was a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. These are the things that happen. <laughs> Sex work is work. It is. Just got to say that. It yeah. is. And she probably just would have said, oh, honey. Oh, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm fine, baby. Just go on. <laughs> Just go on. Uh, 
Or she would have said she doesn't do girls. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, oh, well. So, what do you see as, like, as Barbara mentioned, emergent folklore? Do you look into that much? Do you, or do you kind of stick with more of the tried and true? Yeah. So, whenever. For small town monsters, so far it's just it's been more just the the older folklore. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was writing for the caravan and coming up with those blog posts as the person driving the caravan, um, I did a lot on urban legends for that. Mm-hmm. Which urban legends are it, it, they're interesting to look into themselves because they're they're new, but they're old enough that you can still track evolution mm-hmm. of the story. And so the the vanishing hitchhiker was was one mm-hmm. of them that I covered, and um, the woman in white. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what are some of the other ones? The the hook, like the boyfriend the hook story, mm-hmm. um, and to see lovers lane that kind of thing. <clears throat> to see how that changes, I that still works for me, and I still enjoy looking into that because I can see where that originated. And some of those you can because they are so new, you can kind of pinpoint exactly where that began. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a version of, I feel like it was the vanishing hitchhiker where you can like have a map of the United States and see that in certain pockets, the story has certain elements to it, but not Mm -hmm. in others. I mean, there's overlap, but then there's distinct things. So one of the ones, I think it was with the vanishing hitchhiker, you can actually tell where, someone is from if they repeat this version Mm, that they must be from around the Chicago area because that version of the story deals with something that happened during the the world fair when it was in Chicago. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and I can't, I wish I could remember what the variant is, but people have done a lot of work in that just listing the things, especially professors that have students from all over the country asking these stories. What's the story you heard? And the other thing about uh, urban legends that I find fascinating is that everybody knows somebody with a story like that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, in my world, I know a lot of people that have folk tales that know, you know, the folk tales, the older stuff. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to urban legends, it doesn't really matter what your circle is. Everybody's heard about the babysitter that got a phone call or, you know, of course, or they knew someone who knew someone, whether they actually did or not. I don't know. But um, it's interesting to see how everybody, everybody's got a story of that. Yeah. Um, and it still evokes fear too. It still kind of speaks to modern fears as well mm-hmm. with some of those things. So, yeah, I do look into that. I don't get to look into it as much with mm-hmm. work right now, but when yeah. I'm doing the fun, like the, the fun storytelling writing and stuff, when I can throw that in there, I certainly do. That's cool. Yeah. So what kind of haunted places have you gone to? It sounds like you've gone to some prisons and hospitals. Yeah. So I've been to prisons. um, So like Mansfield, I've been to Moundsville, although I haven't been able to do the overnight stuff at Moundsville yet, but I've gone on multiple tours there. But uh, we've got prisons, nursing homes, uh, old hospitals, Brownella is literally a, like a, just a mansion that some guy had built, um, regular houses. Um, Madison seminary was like, 
a place for widows. It started out with uh, a home for widows of Civil War uh, soldiers and then later turned into like a poor house kind of thing. That and Fairfield are kind of similar in that. Jails, um, hostels. Yeah, I, just cemeteries in general. There's been cemeteries that we've that I've gone to. Um, yeah, I feel like really you could probably go just about anywhere and do an investigation. Mm -hmm. But um, those are the particular places that I've been to. I haven't, I haven't been to a lighthouse. That was something that Santino was really trying to get us to get to. Haven't been there. Um, haven't been to like the conjuring house or anything. I was near it, but it wasn't open. It's for sale so, right now. I was going to say, I, I saw that. It is for a lot more than they bought it for. So they're going to make oh, quite yeah. a profit if they sell it. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. But well, it's that's, a good market for, for selling and yeah. it's also got notoriety. Mm -hmm. No, it's smart. <laughs> They're going to make a lot on it. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I think that's probably about it as far as the diversity of places that we've been. I'm probably forgetting something and later somebody will scold me on it, but I, I don't know. Those are probably it. Cause the big one, Madison, I've been to multiple times in Fairfield, mm -hmm. Mansfield, uh, I'll like the archive of the afterlife. I haven't been to the new location, but the old location, which was in Moundsville, that was an old school, mm. an old school building. So there's the old school buildings. Um, yeah, I think that's about it as far as the diversity of locations. It's a fairly reasonable spread. Yeah. 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 I think the only thing you're missing is theaters and churches. Yeah. I, th I don't think, I mean, I've gone to some churches, but I haven't like investigated there. And then theaters. Oh no. Yeah. I was at Camp Palace theater. So there's a theater there and I haven't been on any ghost ships or anything or ship, not ghost ships, but ships that have a haunted reputation. I haven't been on any of those, but like the queen Mary. Yeah, no, nothing like that. And I've been in hotels that are reportedly haunted although we didn't do an actual investigation, but we were at the Congress hotel in Chicago for one night and that's supposed to be haunted. Nothing happened, but I wasn't really looking for it either. So I don't yeah. know. We were busy looking at Mothman stuff while we were there, not yeah. ghosts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lots of Mothman activity up there right now. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Kendra says not going. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend who really wants to go looking for Mothman with me. And I'm like, uh, I want to go visit the TNT mm -hmm. dome. Cause I'm interested in that. Yeah. But as for, I, I do not wish to play tag with that gentleman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not my favorite. Yeah. The domes are interesting. I, the, I was, I've only been to the domes once mm -hmm. and it was cool to, to be there but it was overwhelming when there were multiple people speaking at once in those domes. Yeah. It's very loud. You can't hear, you can't make out anybody's words, the way it echoes and stuff. It's neat, but it's overwhelming. Yeah. But the only thing that happened while I was there is that I, by the time I was back to the car, I had multiple ticks on me. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I went there as a kid and uh, it's, it's creepy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a little bit, nasty um yeah 
Yeah, Kendra at one point said, hey, we could spend the night in one of those. And I'm like, I still no, 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 no. <laughs> it, it's a super fun site. Yeah. That's why I don't want to do that. I'm, like, I'm interested but, in finding out if it, if the feeling I got during my experience is there in that location. I'd be mm. interested if it's a similar right. feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that would be interesting to see for sure if yeah. that just comes back because where where were you were you in that area when that happened no i was in um it was a vinton county okay um up by lake hope and there's a little ghost town called moonville i worked okay. in the civilian conservation corps and i lived in camp in zaleski state forest mm -hmm. so we were driving back one night and we drove by like there's a fork in the road and this way goes but off to the um ghost town this way goes off to camp Okay. So it was, and at the time yeah. I was like, West Virginia is far away. There's no way <laughs> I'm not telling anybody because I'm nuts. Yeah. And then I started paying attention to it when I was much older. And then it was like, Oh, it's literally mm -hmm. right there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting if, because of the, just the history of the TNT area, if that mm -hmm. resonates with you or yeah. Just in general, if you ever get that feeling again, to take note of where you are, yeah. if it is like a split, like a crossroad type situation in general. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. You should have asked it to teach you how to play guitar really well or something. And... Yeah. Yes. I couldn't speak. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's how the devil gets out of You didn't take the Robert things. Johnson route. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he scares you so bad you can't speak. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I knew something was wrong because you wouldn't talk about it. So and I'm glad you finally did. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. that's what, um, and I can't, I don't, I don't want to go into his story because it'll be in the documentary, but there is someone that we spoke to for On the Trail of UFOs that um, had not publicly ever stated his story. And when I talked to him, the only reason I found out about him was because I had contacted someone out in that area that I thought might know somebody. And right. she said, do you know anybody with this, with an experience similar to this? And at first she said no. And then she was like, well, actually, yeah, my son, in, my ex-son-in-law had an experience like that. And literally only she knew and his ex-wife knew. And he right. didn't want his ex-mother-in-law to know, but his wife had told her. So, yeah. cause she, she talked to her mom. Mm -hmm. um, but she was like, let me message him and see if he'd be willing. It's been however many years, 15 years or something. Uh, so she messaged him and he was like, well, I, I might be willing to talk about it. And he gave, gave me the phone number. Mm -hmm. And so I called and talked to him on the phone. And then he, uh, after we spoke for a little bit, he's like, you know, I'm really good about, putting things in their place and moving on, like not holding on to it. And he's like, I haven't been able to do that with this, but I feel like if I, if I do this and I share this story and it's out there, then I can move on. And that's how he saw, saw that right. <clears throat> and not every witness feels that way, but I've heard of some that have done that. And then they feel like a weight has been lifted because they finally, told their story and it's, it's out there now. Like they don't have to hide it anymore. Um, and so he was, I was really thankful that he talked to us. He was a nervous wreck um, when he showed up for that interview. 
Um, but he talked to us and then through the conversation of speaking with us, actually remembered other things that had happened that were in a similar vein when he was even younger that he hadn't until he started to talk it through, hadn't mm -hmm. made those connections. That's, and so I think that that yeah. had to have been healing on a certain level as well to, to realize it wasn't just a, an isolated incident necessarily. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know how healing that is. It might be terrifying for him, but to know that it just wasn't a, a one time thing to draw those connections. So, yeah, I don't know. But then there's other people that'll have experiences and then they'll never say anything. And that's just not cryptids, you know, specifically right. cryptids either. I mean, I grew up with parents and grandparents that, you know, I know that they've experienced stuff and they'll never talk about it. Um, whatever it may be, something traumatic or whatever, they never want to discuss it. Yeah. And that's how they deal with it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's fine if it works, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with, with family members who would occasionally talk about things, but it was always in the hushed voice, mm -hmm. you know, and, and kids weren't supposed to be listening, but you know, we, sure we figured out ways to get yeah. around that. And uh, sometimes yep. it was, you know, terrible social secrets, you know, mm -hmm. but sometimes it was, it was weird stuff. And it always made me feel better because I was like, Oh, I'm not the only one, you know, yeah. in the family that's had weird stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my, I told my, my family a couple of things and my dad was like, if that ever happened to me, I would never tell anyone. Yeah. My grandparents would talk about it, but they'd talk about it in French. So we didn't know what they were saying because they wouldn't teach us French. Ah, <laughs> That was the language of secrets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as soon as it sounded like anybody started to catch on to what they it's were talking about it. That was the end slip of it. In, slip <laughs> into French. Yeah. <laughs> so that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We've been going for almost two hours. Is there <laughs> anything else you'd like to talk about? Not that I can think of. Mm -hmm. We've covered a lot. Yeah. It's been awesome. It was great to talk with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. If you ever have anything yeah. you want to promote, you can come and promote it. Or you, if you have something you right. want to talk about, if you have like, you know, you want to talk about how to go ghost hunting and how all the equipment <laughs> works. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. I'll do what I can for that. Still, still a noob. That's what I say. I'm still new to all this. I feel like I'm a baby compared to most of the people that I hunt with, but I'm learning. Try to pick it up as much as I can. That is cool. Yeah. Sometimes it's 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 good for new people though to talk about how it works from their eyes because they can explain it in a way that other new people mm -hmm. can understand it. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I, I remember when I came back from being in culinary school and my mom would say, How'd you make that? And I'd go, Oh, it's easy. It's da 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 And there were 15 steps. And then she'd go, That's not easy. Right. You've been around people that think that's that's not normal people don't think that's easy. So sometimes it's good to have somebody who's new at something to explain it so that other people who are new can go, oh, it is easy. Okay. <laughs> and when somebody who's new at it explains it, it it's more accessible mm -hmm. to the people they're explaining to. Yeah. 
it's less intimidating, I suppose, yeah. to be like, here's my very rudimentary <laughs> understanding <laughs> of this. The lights will move if, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if X, Y, and Z. And I yes. think it has to do with, no, just kidding. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.